Well, good morning, Gospel Hope. Man, it is good to see you all. And let's just address the elephant in the room. This place looks great, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Man, and you know, it does look great, but I, I'm really overwhelmed by the reason that it looks great. And it's because of the people that the Lord has entrusted our church. Uh, man, the Lord has gifted Gospel Hope with servant leaders par excellence. I, I just want to take a moment and, and thank them for this. So, um, staff, would you guys first of all stand if you're on staff? Jalen, Lynn, Zach, Brady, Pastor Rod, come on, stand up. Come on, Pastor Rod, yeah. I mean, yeah, please do. Um, thanks, guys. These guys really worked tirelessly. And, uh, man, what a blessing, and the end result is tremendous. And then we have had some people just in our church that have gone above and beyond. So many of you helped out in so many ways, but some people just put the pedal to the middle and said, what can I do to help? And so I just want to mention their names real quickly. I'm sure I'll forget a couple, but there are some that just did an amazing job. The stage, Luke Payton basically headed up this whole project. Yeah. So if it falls apart, it's on Luke, all right? It's on Luke. Um, painting it, Ed Carter painted it, so they came out. Um, these super cool lights here, Josh Miner was like repelling from the ceiling all week, so Josh did that. Um, Irwin was here hour after hour figuring out the tech and the sound, so thanks so much Irwin for that. And then the draping, all kind of some of the custom draping that we had to create, that was Elizabeth Beck, so I just... I know that they don't do that for applause, but I think we would be remiss if we just don't thank God to the grace that people have given, that, that God has graced our church with. So we just praise the Lord that you guys really are embodying that servant leadership idea, saying, how can I leverage all that I am for the sake of Christ and his mission? And folks, it's not just about a cool building. I think that we are going to have a significant impact in our community because of this. I've already had three conversations with neighbors who have said, what's going on here? Um, and, and Lord willing, that will just continue as we continue to put a footprint down here. And then finally, and last and certainly not least, our partners at First Baptist Avondale Estates. They have been so gracious. Um, I mean, they brought us flowers this morning. There were folks coming over and just saying, we are so glad you're here. So take time to get to know them and bless them. And let's see what God does with this partnership in the days ahead to really make an impact for the gospel on the east side of our city together. Uh, well, man, I am excited this morning, not only because of the new building, but we are kicking off our Easter series here today that we're simply calling Life. Four times in the Gospel of John, Jesus is either explicitly or implicitly referred to as life, that life is found in Christ alone. And so over the next several weeks, Pastor Rod and I will be unpacking these passages as we culminate kind of with the celebration of the greatest act of life of all time, namely the Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection over the grave. So I hope you'll follow along with me. We're going to be in John's gospel this entire time, so I hope this will be an encouragement to you over the weeks ahead. So before we dive in this morning, can we pause one more time and just thank the Lord for his help and ask the Lord for his help and extend grace to us. Lord Jesus, 
we do just thank you so much that you are life. And I pray that our hearts would be freshly impacted this morning as we open your word. Would you, would you meet with us today? Would you remind us of the power of the life that is found in Christ alone? Would you open our darkened eyes? Would you change our hardened hearts? Would you help us to see glory and glory and glory from one degree of another in the face of Jesus Christ himself? Lord, let us see. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. You know, I, I have in my pocket here something very exceptional. It is a marble. Everybody see that there? Can you see it? If I were to go out in the courtyard here, dig a little hole, bury this marble in the ground, water it, tend it, give it about a decade, I would go outside and would it have a very significant impact, yes or no? No. Little to nothing would happen because it's just a ball of glass. There's no real intrinsic power in this little ball of glass. However, in my other pocket here, I have something of a very similar size and shape, and it is a walnut, walnut seed from a tree. If, on the other hand, I was to take this outside, dig a little hole, put it in the ground, tend it, make sure it had sun and shade and all the right elements, and then come back in 10 years, would there be a significant difference, yes or no? Yes, in fact, this seed could grow into a tree, and that tree could provide shade. It, it, it could provide oxygen to the air. It could provide a home for the wildlife. It could actually provide food for the wildlife. Eventually, it could get so big that you could chop parts of it or all of it down, and you could use it for fuel, for a fire. It could get so big eventually that you could actually take it to a sawmill and build a house out of it. What's the difference? Well, the difference between a marble and a walnut is contained in this is the power of life. Life is in this little nut. And I bring this up this morning because I think that's exactly how the Apostle John is thinking about Jesus. Not as a nut. But he sees Jesus as having in him the power of life. Life. Look at John chapter 1, verse number 4. In him was, what does it say, church? Life. And the life was the light of men. So according to John, life is found in Jesus. So the question I ask when I read something like this is, is simply this, like, what does that mean? What does it mean to have life in Jesus? Well, perhaps a story from the Old Testament will help. One of the most familiar Bible stories that children will often learn in Sunday school is the story of Noah and the ark, right? But that's not really a story about animals and cutesy, ootsy things you can paint on nursery walls. The story of Jonah, or Jonah and the ark, that's a different story. Different Bible also. Uh, the story of Noah and the ark is about God rescuing his people. But do you know what? The rescue of Noah and his family was actually meant to point forward to an even greater rescue that God would provide for all mankind who put their trust in his son. Just as those in the ark, say that word with me, just as those in the ark were saved from God's judgment, those in Christ are saved from God's judgment. Just as those, just as those in the ark 
were provided for and sustained by the Lord, God provides for and sustains those who are in Christ. Just as those in the ark were given a whole new life after the flood, those who are in Christ are given a whole new life after this world. The idea is simply this. There is fullness of life in Christ. The place where you find provision, the place where you find protection, the place where you find sustenance, the place where you find life for all eternity is only to be found in Jesus. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus himself told us over in John chapter 10, verse number 10. I have come that they may have, what's it say? Life and have it in abundance. So Jesus came to bring his people the fullest dimensions of life. He purchased for them a heavenly home. He rescued them from divine judgment. He provides for them in the present. He gives them joy in him. And he will sustain them for all eternity. To put it simply, life in Christ is a big deal. It's a big deal to have the type of life that is found in Jesus. So how is it that Jesus, this this single individual, was able to purchase for those who trust in him this type of life? I think that's what John 1 is really about, in fact. It it, it explains to us that Jesus alone was uniquely qualified to bring his people life. Or if I could say it in a rather memorable way, Christ is in a category all his own. The reason that Jesus can bring life to his people is because there is simply no one like him. You know, today, if you're a sports fan... Uh, there is a lot of debate about the GOAT. You know what I'm talking about here? You guys have all been around this. And primarily when you're talking about the GOAT, you have this debate between these two particular fellas. Uh, You have the debate between LeBron James and Michael Jordan. Who is the GOAT, the greatest of all time? Okay, all right. All God's people said. Now, growing up as a kid in the 90s, in Chicago, nonetheless... Frankly, I, I, I think the debate is a little silly um, because there's only one answer to that question, and that is, survey said, yes, that's right. Um, Rashad, I love you, brother. Cleveland Cavaliers fan that you are, but you are wrong, and I love you. I love you. You know, but, but the thing is, is in hockey, there is no debate. Now, I know Atlanta's not like a hockey town. Um, And I know it's not like a big sport down here in the South. But in hockey, there's no debate about who's the greatest of all time. In the sport of hockey, there is one person who stands head and shoulders above everybody else. And if you say, who's the greatest of all time? Everybody says, it is none other than Wayne Gretzky. And the reason it's Gretzky is, let me just give you a couple stats about Gretzky. Gretzky scored 200 points in a season. Nobody has ever done that before, and Gretzky did it four times in his career. And by the way, if you score 100 points in a hockey season, you're really good. You're an all-star. Gretzky doubled it up. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, because his greatness is so unanimous that when Gretzky retired from hockey, not just the teams that he played for retired his number, every team in professional hockey retired his number. And his nickname, do you know what his nickname was? It was simply this. The great one. There's no debate. 
Gretzky is in a category all his own. Where am I going with this? Here's the thing. The dominance of Wayne Gretzky compared to his peers is absolutely nothing compared to the dominance of Jesus compared to all his peers. There is no one, no one, absolutely no one, even in the same league as Jesus. They're not even playing the same game. You see, friends, Jesus did what Jesus alone could do. He was uniquely, exclusively qualified to bring life to his people. And that brings me to my point this morning, which is simply this. Oh, friends, we have to see the uniqueness of Christ. There's no one like him. This is the most profound reality in the universe. There is no one like Jesus. And if you don't see anything else in this world, you must see that Jesus is unique. So what makes him so unique? That's what John unpacks in these short few verses. And I want to highlight two reasons why Jesus is in his own category. The first one is this. Who he is. Jesus is unique because of who he is. Unlike Matthew and Luke, the Gospel of John does not begin with the nativity story. But it actually goes way further back. And with a clear allusion to the very first words of the Bible, John introduces Jesus in this way. John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the word. Several times throughout this passage, Jesus is simply called the word. It's a rather unusual name. So what is John trying to get at when he calls Jesus the word? Here's what I would say very simply. When John calls Jesus the word, I think he is basically saying that Jesus is the revelation of God. That's essentially what words do, right? When you speak words, you reveal yourself to other people. Let me illustrate perhaps to make that clear. How many dog lovers here? Any dog lovers in La Casa? Okay, very good. I bet if I went around this room, so Kay is a dog lover here, and uh, do you have a dog currently? She does not. Okay, Kay, you can't be my example. Who does? Ari, Ari, okay. Ari, um, and she gets picked because her husband went, oh, oh. Okay, if you make that sound, you get picked for stuff. So Ari, what's your dog's name? Roman, that's right. And, And I bet if I ask Ari, hey, do you love Roman, you would say, immensely, oh, wow. And does Roman love you, Ari? Of course Roman loves Ari. What's not to love after all? But, but I guarantee, even though that may be true, that Ari loves Roman and Roman loves Ari, if Ari came home from church today and Roman meets her at the door <laughs> and then sits down, looks her up in the eyes and says, how was church today, Ari? What was the Lord teaching you from God's word this morning? That relationship is going to change. Why? Because suddenly Roman has revealed himself to her. Right before he was just cute and cuddly. Now you're beginning to actually know who he is and what he thinks. You're beginning to see a fuller revelation of who Roman is. So why does God call Jesus the word? Because if you want to see God, look no further than Jesus. 
He is the revelation of God. He is how you know what God is like. And then he proceeds to forcefully affirm to tell us that, that Jesus is 100% God. Look at verse 1 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I mean, you can't get any more clear than that. Not only does John say that Jesus is eternal like God, but then he just straight up says the word was God himself. Then just to be sure that we don't miss the point, he goes on to say Jesus does what only God can do. Look at verse number three. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In other words, Jesus brings life to the world and he can bring life to his people because he is the author of life himself. Jesus is the one that made everything. Jesus is God fully revealed to man. That's what John 1 is saying. You want to see God look no further than Jesus. But here's the thing. That we must never be guilty of of ascribing less than 100% deity to Christ. We must remember that there is actually even more to Jesus than just his divinity. Skip down to verse number 14. The word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he did not appear to be a man, nor did he simply inhabit a physical body. Jesus actually became human. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 17. He had to be like his brothers in every way. Just as it would be incorrect to claim that Jesus is less than fully God, it would be equally incorrect to say that Jesus is less than fully man. You see, we should not only affirm that Jesus is God fully revealed to man, we should also say Jesus is God fully become man. He's both of those things. Jesus is the revelation of God to man, and Jesus is the God become man. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. And repeatedly, the authors of Scripture remind us that this is not just some sort of theological abstraction or something unimportant for people with dusty books and shelves to debate in a back room. The reason why it is critical that we affirm that Jesus was fully God and fully man, it was because only the God-man could save people from their sins. Hebrews 2 verse 17 again, Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way. Why? So that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God. Look at this. To make atonement for the sins of his people. Or even more succinctly, over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus alone could bridge the gap between God and man. No one else could do it. You know, one of the most popular stories or fables you could call in our generation is kind of the Harry Potter story. And whether you like the story or not, there's one fact in it that I think they get right. And in those stories, only Harry Potter can defeat Voldemort. Like, he's the only one. Nobody else can beat him. Only this one person could. And that's kind of what makes the stories compelling. 
Like Harry is the only one and he's kind of this bumbling fool and then in the end he, he beats the big bad guy because only he can do it. Well, here's the thing. J.K. Rowling, she's a good author, but she's a ripoff of the Bible. Because she's just taking the Bible storyline and saying, hey, there's only one rescuer. There's only one person who could actually defeat the enemies that plague all mankind. Only sin and death and hell can be defeated by one person, one exclusive person who fits into the category of God and man. No one else can get across that chasm, but praise the Lord. In his grace, God became man and laid down his life on the cross. Why must we see Jesus clearly? Because he and he alone could do what he did. Jesus could do what Jesus did because Jesus was who Jesus was. Jesus' deity and humanity are critically important ideas. They make him exclusively qualified to save his people from their sins. Number two. Not only should we see that Jesus is in his own category because of who he is, but also of what he did. As we've already hinted at, Jesus was not simply in his own league for one reason, but also because of what he was able to accomplish. Go back to the text, John chapter 1, verse number 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So, John starts by saying, Jesus is the word, And then he kind of shifts the metaphor a little bit. And he goes from calling Jesus the word and he now calls him the light. So if Jesus as the word is the revealer of God, what does it mean when John says that he's also the light? Well, fortunately for us, we don't have to speculate or guess. Because later in John's gospel, Jesus tells us exactly why he is the light. John chapter 8, verse number 12. I am the light of the world. And anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus came to rescue people like you and me from darkness and give us the light of life. And here's the thing. Whether you realize it or not, we all need to be rescued from darkness. Do you know that? Like, whether you knew it this morning or not, walking in here, every single man, woman, boy, or girl who has ever walked the planet was born into darkness, and we need God's help to be able to see. We all need to be rescued from the darkness that is our existence. And here's the thing. Darkness is not just like kind of an inconvenient reality. Darkness distorts reality. When you are in darkness, you can't see what's in front of you. You can't navigate reality because your facilities are hampered. Darkness brings death. Let me illustrate here. So I already ribbed Rashad, so let me try to reward him here. Rashad, would you, would you come on over here, sir? Come on. Come on, sir. Yeah, 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 Rashad. So I've got Andrew over here, and Andrew's going to help me as well. So Andrew, could you, could you stand up and hold out what is in your pocket there up in the air for all to see? So Rashad, can you see that? Yes. yes. Okay, what is it? It's a dollar bill. It is a $10 bill. $10. We are balling, friend. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. It's a $10 bill. And Rashad, 
is a $10 bill valuable? Yes, it's valuable. It has worth in it. And right now, you are able to clearly see that $10 bill, and, and, and would you like to have it, that $10 bill? Yes, it's always a bonus to have a $10 bill. Yes, it's very clear. So what I want to do, though, Rashad, is, is kind of have you, I picked your colors here, is uh, actually have you blindfold yourself. So maybe close your eyes and then put this on here. Okay, nice and, nice and snugly. Okay, all right. Can you see anything? No, none at all? Okay, zero. Okay, no, no, don't be doing that. Okay, now I want you to spin. Spin, rather aggressively, aggressively, aggressively spin. Okay, very good, very good, very good, very good. Can you hear me? Okay, all right. You can't hear me? I didn't cover your ears, just your eyes, bro. All right, so I'm going to walk you this way. Now I'm going to walk you this way, and maybe this way. Oh, oh, sorry about that. Okay, all right, walk you this way. All right, now, very simply, Rashad, is the $10 bill still valuable? Okay, and, and audience, does Andrew still have the $10 bill? Yes. Okay. All right, now, now Rashad, go get it. <laughs> okay, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, I mean, I mean, for real, it's right there. It's valuable. You know it's there. I mean, all you have to do is, is get it. Okay, right, right. Now, do you see my point here? What does darkness do? It, it prevents him from seeing reality. Is the $10 bill still there? Yes. Is it still attainable? Like if he went and got it, would just Andrew hand it to Well, maybe. I don't know. Andrew, would you hand it to him? Maybe, maybe not. I said, Andrew, could you hold this up? He said, is this payment for being in the illustration? Um, your fee is paid. All right, Rashad, you could take that off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus is valuable. Nothing changes that. He is absolutely of worth. But the problem is people cannot see. And so they can't get a hold of him. And so in order for Rashad to be able to go and get that $10 bill, now would it be very easy for him to just walk across the room and take it? Yes. Why? Because he has been given back his sight. Jesus is the light because he wants to free us from our delusion, this distortion of reality. And here's the thing. Not only are we born in this blindness, but there are powerful forces in the world working against us to prevent us from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 4. The God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded the eyes of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Satan wants to keep you blind. The God of this world would like nothing more for you to look at Jesus and say things like, well, I'm glad that works for you, but not for me. He would like you to look at Jesus and say, let's not get crazy about this Jesus thing. I mean, I'll go to church every once in a while. He would like you to look at Jesus and say, I'm not perfect, but really, do I need to be saved? I mean, that seems a bit much. In other words, Satan wants to keep you blind but church here's the good news verse number five the light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it yes you can clap for that 
the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Light overpowers darkness every single time. If you go into a dark room, no matter how big that room, no matter how deep the darkness is, if you put a candle in the middle of the room, darkness can't extinguish light, and the darkness could not extinguish Jesus either. Light overcomes darkness. Look, and, he, and Satan did his best to stop Jesus. So I want you to say a phrase with me right now. The darkness did not win. Can you say that? With a little conviction. You got it in your mind? Okay, we need a little preaching canter on it though. Ready? The darkness did not win. Got it? All right, get ready. Satan tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. But he escaped to Egypt and... Years later, Satan tried to tempt Jesus to worship him. But Jesus resisted him in the power of the Holy Spirit and... Then Satan did his best. And he used the religious leaders to trap Jesus. But Jesus taught with unprecedented authority and... Finally, the saddest day in human history, and Satan did his best work and orchestrated the crucifixion of the Savior by the hands of evil men, but not even the grave could resist the Lord. And on the third day, Jesus rose again, and what? Oh, but that's just the beginning of the story, church. Satan tried to destroy some of you. By making Jesus seem foolish and sin seem beautiful. But God, open your eyes. And Satan tried to keep others of you in this room blind to your need for Christ. Making you believe that you really didn't need a Savior. But God gave you sight. And enabled you to see salvation is found in no other name. And, and this very morning. Satan is desperately trying to ruin others of you by making you see yourself as too far gone. Making you believe that there is no way you can be forgiven and cleansed and accepted. But today, God wants you to look at Jesus and see the grace of the Savior. And my friend, I believe what? Church, the darkness will not win. Jesus came to overcome the dark. I love the story over in John chapter 8. You know why? Because it's the testimony of so many of us in this room. So, Jesus comes along to this man who was born blind, like us. And then Jesus, in his grace, gives him sight. But the religious leaders of the day, ever adversaries to Christ, want to somehow discredit the obvious miracle to bring this man. And so they bring this man in for questioning. And here's the testimony. John chapter 8, verse number 24. The religious leaders summoned the man who had been born blind and told him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And the blind man answered, Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. And that's every one of our stories. If you know Jesus today, you were blind, but now you see. Because only the light of the world can open darkened eyes. Jesus can do 
only that. He is exclusively qualified. We need to see the uniqueness of Jesus because of who he was and because of what he did. So look, life is found only in Christ. So if this is the case, where does this leave us this morning? I want to give you two practical suggestions as we close. The first thing is this, study the word in the word. Remember, John starts out by calling Christ the word. So is it any coincidence that the Bible is also called the word? I don't think so. I think the Lord entrusted us with this book so that we could learn about Jesus. Or if I could put it very simply, God gave us the written word so that we could see the living word. And you know what? There are 21 days from now until Easter. You know how many chapters there are to John's gospel? 21. I think that is a sign of providence. So on your way out today, if you want, there are some Bibles on the table. Take it if you want, or if you got one at home, that's fine. But I would encourage you over the next 21 days as we approach Easter, why don't you just try to see the word in the word. If it is our calling to see the uniqueness of Jesus, the first place that we must look is right here. In the word of God, which has revealed to us the word of God. Second thing I would say is this. Ask the light for light. Maybe you heard what I said this morning and thought, man, I want to see Jesus more clearly. But honestly, Ryan, it's pretty hard for me. You know what? It's hard for me too sometimes. I get distracted by all kinds of things. And sometimes deeply appreciating the person and work of Christ is not something that comes very naturally to me. I'm sure almost everyone in this room could identify with that. We want to see Jesus. We want to love Jesus. We want to see his uniqueness in our lives. But it's not always the easiest thing to do. Here's the good thing. I love this. God doesn't mind if we ask for his help. In fact, in the scripture itself, there are prayers like this. Look at Psalm 119, verse number 18. Open my eyes, then I might behold wondrous things in your law. Or Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of the calling, what is the wealth of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. If it's good enough for the Bible, it's good enough for me. And so I would encourage you, maybe even this week, to begin to pray this way. Lord, would you give me eyes to see? Oh, I want to see Jesus. I don't want to be distracted by family and work and, and play and my house or where I live or my neighbors. All good things. All great things. But we want to see the thing that is uniquely valuable, namely the person and work of Christ. In fact, what I want to do right now this morning as we close before we worship the Lord one more time, I would like to pray for us that we would see. So maybe you want to pray the same prayer in your heart. Maybe pray something like this. Father, I want to see Jesus. And Lord, if I'm honest, it's really easy for me to be distracted. My life is busy. My plate is full. Coronavirus has been hard. But I want to see. I want to be like that blind man 
whose eyes were closed. And then one day, Jesus touched him and his eyes were open. Lord, help me to see. Show me the living word through the written word. Show me Christ. Because there is life in him alone. Lord, would you make that true for every person in this room? Help us to have life that is found in Christ exclusively. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord together.